This is Artist Focus. I'm Mike Darkfloor and uh, you are listening to Melodic Distraction. It's February 2023, which means it's LGBTQ plus history month. And as such, I want to focus on a gay artist whose music aligns uh, with me personally and with that of my record label, Darkfloor Sound. So coming up, tracks and remixes from her career, as well as a couple of her early influences. From her early work that would be championed by Jeff Mills, John Peel and clubs up and down the country, to her stepping away from the scene and to her return, where she now commands and decimates in the studio and most effectively in the dance. She's a highlight of any lineup and her sets are great to legendary. For this edition of Artist Focus, Paula Temple. DJ, producer, remixer, sound designer, Paula Temple, a specialist in noisy, high voltage, intense, phantomasgoric techno. For many years, she taught people how to make music, how to engineer it, and uh, we'll get into that over the course of this episode. But um, yeah, I need to start at the beginning really, don't we? So she uh, these days is based in the Netherlands, but Paula actually grew up near Manchester in Preston, Lancashire. I didn't know this prior to putting together this episode, but she was actually deaf until she was five years old. She couldn't hear, her ears were blocked, and it was so severe that it actually affected her early speech and learning. Thankfully though, following an operation, her hearing was restored. such a crucial time for a child's development, she had to find different ways of interacting with the world. Talking to DJ Mag in 2019, she told them, I remember being very observant at that age. I guess I had to be because I couldn't learn through hearing, so I had to make sense of the world through seeing. Following her ear operation, she became fascinated with sound. She found solace in sound. And again, speaking of DJ Mag, she told them, I had my personal stereo on all the time. I didn't really want to listen to lyrics. Singing was another instrument that was fascinating to me, but I wasn't interested in the words. It was the tone I was interested in. This track you're listening to right now is called Mayako. 
is from her debut EP that came out back in 2002. And that first track today, uh, the opening track of the EP, entitled In Reach. for Paula's early musical influences well yeah so perhaps unsurprisingly she skipped completely kids music and went straight for the Motown records in her mother's collection and the Pink Floyd Queen and Kate Bush ones in her father's uh, this led to her love of pop 
uh, some of her uh, top artists of the time being Madonna and Pet Shop Boys. And then she moved on, discovering Tangerine Dream, Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana. in Utro, that was Nirvana with Very Ape. Paula, like so many in the 90s, discovered her love of techno through two primary outlets. The first, Sheffield's Warp Records. And the second, the Motor City Detroit. Although I'm, I, I, I do feel she probably took quite a bit from Chicago as well. Both incredibly influential cities in the development of techno, house, and everything we know and love today. Like myself, she's a big fan of Ortec and LFO. Both uh, artists are signed to Warp Records, of course, as well as Detroit's Jeff Mills. More on him in a little bit. And he much loved and sorely missed John Peel. So this track right here is, I believe to be, her favorite Ortega track, or it was anyway a couple of years back. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. This, from 1995, is Second Bad Vibel.
Paul's first gig at age 15 was to see Aphex Twin. Don't know about you, but that is very decent for a first gig, yeah. Although it wasn't quite what she'd hoped. In an interview, she uh, she told them it was grimy as hell. This uh, this Aphex Twin gig, uh, like sweat dripping from the ceiling. Enough. She'd waited for a seemingly endless period, packed in, overcrowded, sweating. Aphex finally arrived, but it it didn't go quite to plan. So he gets all his synths out. They look pretty hacked up. Uh, like DIY cables are hanging out all over the place. Um, and yeah, so we start, and then like 15 minutes go by, and uh, she reckons that sweat must have dropped from the ceiling uh, into his equipment, and something blew, and then the sound just cuts off. That was it. End of the set. 15 minutes done. Yeah, that's not ideal, is it? But those 15 minutes clearly had an impact because soon she was raving at Leeds Club The Orbit, an 18 and over venue she at 16 snuck in regularly. From 1994's classics, this is Apex Twin and Metafastic. Just you, you can just feel the sweat dripping off the warehouse wall on this track. If you're unfamiliar with the Orbit, uh, it's a much, much storied venue. It was the English techno mecca of the 90s. Uh, a, a much storied club where the music was often fast, hard and pounding. Oh, 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 oh,
much like myself when I first started going to clubs in the early 2000s. After just one, two or three nights out, I, I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted to get into that world. And uh, Paula, yep, same path, got straight in. Her entry point was stuff like this. Rapid jacking techno from Chicago's Dance Mania. At age 18, she entered and won Music Magazine's DJ competition. Prize was spending the day with techno legend Dave Angel. As a kid, she told RA in 2019 she had begged her parents to buy her a cheesy Yamaha keyboard, but not knowing how to use it, uh, it ended up being neglected. She'd actually learned to read sheet music at quite a young age. Uh, at age 11, her school offered music classes, which she took up, but she didn't have an instrument. Thankfully, though, the school had a, a room of abandoned music equipment and gave her free reign to pick. And of course, like anybody, she went for the biggest thing in there, a baritone. Now, if you're unfamiliar, a baritone horn is a low-pitched brass instrument in the sax horn family, and it's a standard part of brass bands here in the UK, and is actually pretty similar to a trombone in its timbre and range. practiced for hours, driving her parents nuts, but she got quite good and quite quickly. Uh, in six months, she'd gone from nothing to grade four, teaching herself from books. Within a year, she was grade five and could read music pretty quickly. She was asked to be part of the orchestra, the youngest person in it. One of Paula's early electronic loves, as I said earlier, was LFO. And uh, after reading an interview with co-founder Mark Bell, she became infatuated. In the interview, he mentioned the Roland SH-101, which, can you believe it, became her first synth. Fast forward a few years to 2001 and Paula Temple is in the mix for Radio One's One World Broadcast, going out nationwide across the entire UK. In 2019, she would once again return to Radio One, this time in command of the long-running and legendary Essential Mix. Uh, and I've got to tell you, that Essential Mix is an absolute stormer.
2002, Paula Temple released her debut EP, The Speck of the Future. Four tracks, one 12-inch vinyl, released through Chris McCormack's label Materials. The vinyl run soon sold out and the record became highly sought after. And it still is. Both Chris McCormack and Paula had uh, a friend in common, Ben from Space DJs. So Ben was doing uh, a live mix online uh, and the site it was broadcasting through had a forum attached to it and in the chat room on the site was, uh, was Paula and Chris. So they were obviously chatting, it's a chat room. And um, so Chris just asked her, like, uh, you know, as they had a shared interest in techno, whether she really, you know, wrote any music. And she said that she, she did, but she had no intention of doing anything with it. He asked if he could hear it and fair enough sent it across and he uh, he was very impressed so his label was uh, it's a seminal label by the way materials if you don't know it go and check it out it's not available digitally you're gonna have to dig out the vinyl but um, it was an outlet primarily and exclusively for his work only but he made one exception in the entire history of the label and that was for her she's the only artist other than remixes on his label with original material other than himself, right? So Chris didn't care about the industry all that much. Uh, He wasn't strategic in any sort of way with his label or music, but crucially, he had a vision for his sound. Caring deeply about the quality of music he was putting out, obsessed with technique as much as creativity. She called him Professor Compressor. They had plans to start a label, but at the time, distributors were going under left, right and centre. Pretty much all of them were just just falling apart into liquidation. And the scene itself was moving into uh, the soulless, minimal sound of the mid-2000s. And ultimately, the label never happened. Sadly, Chris quit the scene in the mid-2000s, disillusioned with techno. He said, I am very sad that the ultra-safe records with bonkos and zero talent are what makes techno tick these days. 21 years later, as I said, the record still sells second-hand for between 35 and 50 quid. Uh, Thankfully, though, for those of you not with uh, deep pockets, you can pick up a remastered digital copy direct from her label, Noise Manifesto. More on that label shortly. Not long after her debut release dropped, it would be licensed to Jeff Mills' Exhibitionist Mix DVD, as well as WJ Hens's label, Federation of Drums. Mills would include her track Contact from that first EP on his seminal and defining mix, Exhibitionist. Now, there are loads of techno mixes out there in the world. Um, one of the most influential ones was 1996's Live the Liquid Rooms, featuring Jeff Mills, recorded live in Japan. And uh, Exhibitionist, again by Jeff Mills, 
It's uh, it's a it's a unique thing in that not only is it a great techno mix, you actually can see him putting it together. Like it's he performed it live on three decks in a shop front, I believe in Barcelona, and um, it's a multi-camera thing as well, so you can see uh, different angles of him putting things together. And it's a mix where Mills is just in his prime doing. Uh, amazing things with records um, and for Paula to be on that mix CD uh, that mix DVD in fact uh, huge boost for her career I mean the mix features a swell of great tracks from the likes of Oliver Ho Octave One Ben Sims Oscar Malero Paul Mack uh, DJ Rush Claude Young Patrick Skewed uh, as well as many from Mills himself uh, and yeah it's a masterclass of mix So influential was that mix. In the beginning of 2004, Paula was invited to record and perform a Peel session for Radio 1 with the legendary John Peel. Like, when John Peel was on the air, that was like, you know, bucket list level um, for, for people that made music. You know, if you did a Peel session, you, 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 you were established, right? Unfortunately, she didn't follow through on the amazing offer, saying it was just too overwhelming at that time and at that age. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can believe that. So her profile as a DJ is growing. She's performing at major festivals across Europe. She played Serbia's Exit Festival just after the end of the war, telling DJ Mag Chandler Shortledge that it was one of the most amazing experiences of her life. So that right there from her debut EP was the very track that both Jeff Mills and WJ Hens licensed. That was Contact. A year before her debut release in 2001, Paula co-developed the innovative MXF8, a MIDI controller designed for live performance, and one of the first of its kind. The technology ultimately began to shape her style of hybrid live DJ performances, blurring the line between producer, remixer, and DJ. She approaches DJing with a producer mindset. That's where she was then, and it's where she is now. And it allowed her to layer between her own live pieces, edits, and tracks, resulting in powerful, slamming sets. Early in 2000, Paula had started to get to know the inventor, Gerard Campbell. She'd been introduced to him by the choice Claude Young. 
They'd met at Orbit in Leeds, uh, and around that time, Jared had just released, uh, well, he'd actually invented and then released, uh, a four-channel hardware sequencer called the Notron that creative producers at the time were super keen for. And these include the Orb, Liam Howlett, uh, and Bjork. So Paula got her hands on a Notron, and shortly thereafter, her and Gerard became good friends. And he'd had this idea to somehow blur the line between producers in the studio and DJs in the club. And he wanted to create some kind of controller to achieve this. So he asked Paula to co-develop it with him uh, that same year, 2000. And 12 months later, uh, they really got into it, and the MXF8 was born which stands for MIDI Crossfade 8 Channels. At the time, there was nothing like it on the market. You had up to eight channels of audio with a crossfader with four channels either side of it. Effectively, you could transform Ableton Live into eight virtual decks. And with it being a MIDI controller, you could assign any MIDI control to any other machine and you could perform your productions like a DJ. That's a pretty pretty cool piece of kit right there if, if you're a producer and a DJ and you want to do both at the same time, you know? From 2002 to around 2006, Paula was gigging with two vinyl decks, Ableton Live and the MXF8. So in effect, she was playing with 10 decks and uh, she started calling this style hybrid DJ. Speaking to resident advisor in 2016 about this, she wasn't sure that anybody knew what she meant back then. She told them, sometimes because I would sample tiny bits of tracks that I loved, I could take a loop from, for example, Carl Craig's Jam the Box, then take a tiny riff from a DBX track, a kick from another track, a hi-hat loop from something else, and then have my own stuff in there too. As long as I didn't do too much, which is tempting to do with this kind of setup, it worked. She went on to tell them that the technology enabled her to perform the music, which she found much more enjoyable than being stuck rigid on a grid. It was a perfect combination with Ableton's session view, which is all about jamming and coming up with ideas on the fly, but I didn't want to lose the physicality of vinyl, so I kept the decks in the setup. quit music in 2006, uh, around the time of the minimal boom. She wouldn't return until 2013, uh, which I'll get into. She'd switched back to pure vinyl, taking a break from the hybrid setup for a moment. But unfortunately, the airports that she was uh, using to travel to gigs kept losing her records. And um, she took that as a sign. Uh, she'd started to lose her motivation with techno. Uh, it, it lost something, it, it lost bite. And it was some pretty lean years uh, for techno back then. Uh, it was great for other, other music at the time. Dubstep was kicking off. So, you know, horses for courses and all that. But for Paula, 
it, it wasn't great. So yeah, she 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 quit music in 2006, uh, and in the years between, she taught music tech, specifically Ableton Live, her preferred studio tool, together with DJ courses at Leeds College of Music. She became a certified trainer for Ableton and was a director at Future Arts, a not-for-profit social enterprise in Leeds which aimed to inspire and uplift young creatives into better futures through creative technologies. She was a mentor to many, but it was intense work with 20-hour days and little money. I started getting involved in workshops, she said, and it really opened my eyes to how fucking tough it is for young people in those areas. I felt the situation was really shit for them and I didn't know how best to do anything other than what I was doing. So I ended up going into it in a big way. A lot of them were in desperate situations or in a situation where they'd given up on themselves because there was no one else believing in them. Everybody had told them quite the opposite, that it'd amount to nothing. But during that time, Paula helped grow the organization from two people to a large team with a board of directors. And here's where it gets a bit... That same board, following a secret meeting, terminated Paula's then-girlfriend after an employee saw the couple holding hands and complained. They then took steps to squeeze her out of the role, so much so that she resigned. They went further and made it impossible for her to work there and then banned her and her girlfriend from the premises. And um, I mean, this is like in the mid 2000s. Yeah, this is, I'm sorry that anyone has to go through this stuff in, in the 21st century, but it's still prevalent and it's, it's just not on, right? It's not on. After a lengthy, drawn-out and exhausting court battle, a judge ruled in their favour that the termination was cruel, oppressive and malicious. As the court case wound down, Paula felt her creativity reignite. In 2016, she said, I let go of all my self-consciousness. I'm just going to make what excites me. she burst back onto the scene with Colonized, an EP of heavy apocalyptic techno sound for RNS Records. At the time, it was somewhat of a dramatic shift for the label, uh, but it marked her official return to techno and what a return. This right here is the EP's title track, Colonized.
Serena van der Papilea, RNS co-founder and label head, heard her demos and signed her on the spot. Uh, she said he went apeshit when he heard them. Great news, um, but uh, there's a surprising and, and disappointing side note to this, that for the first time in the label's 30-year history, she was the first female artist they released. unstructured punk-like take on techno sounded fresh and helped to usher in a comeback of harder sound to the genre, overtaking the overly polished Berlin style of the time. This is Death Fox. In the years before Colonized, her comeback EP, Paula had been through intense, life-altering experiences. And while she was moderately political before leaving the scene, she viewed it very differently upon her return. Talking to DJ Mag in 2019, she said, I think it had a major impact because it opened my eyes to how both discrimination and oppression works. It taught me a lot about patriarchy as well as intersectional oppression. There was classism, misogyny, homophobia, all the things I was trying to fight with working in the community. And it was happening in a micro way to myself and the people I cared about. It helped me open my eyes, so I realigned my sense of compassion and understanding. Now fully ready to make music again, Paula was mindful not to take her position for granted, asking herself how she could combine this with helping other people, even in just a small way, voicing that she understood another person's situation. Her debut album, 2019's Edge of Everything, was her answer. came to recording her album, uh, initially she wanted to make one in the style of Nine Inch Nails. Something heavy, industrial, uh, emerging rock and techno. 
she was considering adding vocals, similar in style to what Peaches does. But after a week spent in a studio in Helsinki trying to program drums in a death metal style merged with techno, she admits it didn't sound right. So she had to reassess what was at the core of what she was trying to make. She wanted her album to be helpful. We are living on the edge of mass extinction and that's huge and most people are not talking about it, she told Hypnotic in 2019. Uh, when I say helpful, she continued, it might sound confusing because there are no lyrics on my album, but I want to connect with like-minded fans with a shared outlet to voice our frustrations. I'm an abstract thinker. Words are not my language. Sounds are. Released early May 2019, Paula Temple's debut album, Edge of Everything, is, we can all agree, a stunning record. In my opinion, it's not only one of the best techno LPs of 2019, it is one of the best techno albums, period. The album focuses on social and political activism, advancements in technology, and the destruction unleashed on our society by our current economic systems. Tracks like Raging Earth, Futures Betrayed, and Post-Scarcity Anarchism all clearly state their intention. From it, this is track two, the techno version of Joshua and Goliath. Her album has exceptional production and a heavy cinematic presence throughout. Her, her blend of noise-inspired techno and ambient sound is unlike little else.
the album's standout slab is Cages. Hammering down with its violent rage, conveying Paula's anger that America was locking up refugee children and their families in cages across the country's southern border. She said, in the States, we are locking up children and refugees in disgusting conditions. We shouldn't be locking up humans in cages. It's about the prison industrial complex and how rife that is. Just for profit, we're destroying people's lives and taking away people's freedoms. This is just disgusting. It's disgraceful. She points a finger at the continued destruction of the individual at the hands of the powerful. The album's first single, Joshua and Goliath, that track I just played you, uh, it reimagines the biblical tale of David and Goliath with the then 22-year-old Hong Kong pro-democracy student activist Joshua Wong at the Chinese government. He started an umbrella movement in response to the Chinese government's threat to implement Chinese curricula in Hong Kong schools. And uh, in the track, as you heard, there's a push and a pull in the synths, uh, a sound that to Paula represents struggle. And on the single's release, she said that this struggle represented the people who lead movements for freedom. The courageous few versus the oppressive force. The Goliath. The album isn't just doomsaying and a harsh reality check. There are moments of optimism too. Tracks like Dimension Jumping and Quantum Unfolding lay hint at our possible escape from our apocalyptic reality. Edge of Everything is a sonic call to action and an incredible recording. There are people out there that say you shouldn't put politics into music and I disagree 100% with those people. You can say things with art, you can say things with music, you can make a stand. You can use your creativity to say something, and Paula Temple says a lot.
2015, Paula launched her label Noise Manifesto, named as a proclamation underpinned with an aim to dismantle through promises such as featuring at least 50% of artists who identify as trans, female, woman, non-male, non-conforming or queer on every release the label puts out. Prioritizing bodies and identities who have been kept invisible despite their outstanding talent and achievement. This has been translated into the Decon Recon series, where four producers collate samples together before creating an individual piece. With the resulting tracks being credited to all four artists. Uh, so in doing so, breaking down the preconceived boundaries and structural hierarchies in music. The project's debut record dropped in April 2015 and features Roxy Moore, Aquarian Jugs, Oni Ihan, and Paula Temple, uh, who's going under the name Jaguar Woman on that one. In 2017, uh, early 2017, it was followed up with the second in the series, uh, and that one features SOS Gunther Ryberg, Aisha Devi, Rose, and of course, Paula Temple.
since her album dropped, there have been a couple of remix EPs of the album and together with uh, some new material on Noise Manifesto from uh, the artist on her label. But she herself hasn't released much since her album. No doubt in part due to the fun of COVID uh, over the past couple of years and the fact that I think these days she just has a relentless touring schedule. She is headlining most weekends, smashing any and all clubs she is invited to. Uh, she's a regular at Catharsis, uh, Awakenings, and you name any of the harder end of the techno sphere currently uh, rampant in Europe, and she will be there if not coming up. She'll have been there very recently. She is Paula Temple. She is a formidable presence on techno music globally. Um, yeah, I hope that uh, over the course of this hour you've enjoyed listening to some of her tracks and hearing insight into her history, her music, her background and um, what she stands for as a producer, as an artist, as a creative. So that's about it from myself. Thank you very much for listening. Shout some more distraction. You will uh, no doubt catch me on a future Dark Force Sound show sometime soon on a Saturday night coming at you live from Liverpool. Um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I uh, hope I can do another one for these uh, at some point soon. And uh, yeah, like I say, it's given me a deeper love and understanding of all of Temple's music, her path, her label. If anything, it was an excuse just to listen to some amazing tracks as well. <laughs> Putting this together, I've uh, I re-listened to the album. I, I dug out some of her remixes that I'd missed when they came out. And uh, yeah, it just told me what I already knew, that I, I love this producer. And um, if you get a chance to see her perform, do it. But brace yourself, because uh, you've not quite heard the full ferocity of her live set on these recordings. You've definitely got an idea, but it's completely different when she's in the dance, when she has she, she has all the control of the sound and knows exactly what she's doing. She is a consummate professional and one of the best out there. And that's your lot. Thank you for listening. This has been Artist Focus, looking at the life and work of Paula Temple. I've been Mike Darkfloor and I will catch you soon.